0: Welcome to the Born Unbreakable Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. From lost trauma, disappointments, and devastation to healing hope and betterment, what has grounded me is my unbreakable spirit. We all have that spirit within us. Every week, I'm here to inspire you with stories of perseverance and growth. My mission is to help you crush self-limiting beliefs and to be unapologetically you, You are your only limit, so take action today. Let your unbreakable ride begin now. This episode is brought to you by Blue Skies Life, a lifestyle brand with high-quality, ethical, and sustainable products. There are products for your mind, body, and home, everything from calming tea and luxurious shea butter to Turkish towels and silk kimonos. The holiday season is upon us, so start getting these one-of-a-kind gifts now. Go to blueskieslife.com, that's B L U S K Y S. L-I-F-E dot com and use code B-U-20 to get 20% off your order today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. Let me just tell you before we even get started, my guest and I, I have Gav, Gavin McCoy here. We have unbreakable spirits today. Because for about 30 to 40 minutes, each of us tinkered with technology just to make this interview happen. And that must mean that it is just a test of perseverance. And when you put your mind to something and you just hit all the buttons and restart everything, you know, sometimes that's what you need to do to persevere. So we are here. <laughs> we are having a really good conversation today because um, Gavin has. An incredible story. And it is one that I know will move you because it moved me. I'm going to highlight a couple of things about you. And then I would love for you to, to, to dive in a little bit further into your story. But when I learned about Gavin, I learned some some pretty incredible things. Um, one is just the journey that you've gone on all the way that dates back to your mother. So your mother grew up in Ireland and went on this journey of trauma unfortunately from convent to convent ended up on a farm with foster parents and had the terrible misfortune to have gone through rape and beaten as as a young girl and then ended up going to England where she ended up having you and but because of her trauma uh, that made it challenging for your upbringing and the way that you had to move through life. And then she had a few different marriages. So you had three stepfathers. You yourself as a child experienced abuse at five years old and eight years old from babysitters that you had. And your teenager life wasn't any easier because you had experienced drugs and alcohol and all of that kind of stuff although I don't know that's that different from from many teens but the trauma certainly you know was was a part of your your life and your journey and then you traveled quite a bit and then later in life is when you really got to change things around met your wife you had three beautiful children um, but then you were diagnosed with skin cancer so then you got that thrown into the mix. And so today, fast forward to today, and this is why it's it's so wonderful, is that Gavin, his mission is to help men who have experienced abuse and trauma to help them and also to help people find their biological families, which is something that he went through. And it's just, it's amazing, uh, your your story and just the fact that we're here today able to share this is incredible. So first of all, thank you for your perseverance for even getting on the show <laughs> with our technological issues. But thank you for being here and thank you for being willing to share your story with the world today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it. I've been really looking forward to it. And uh, the the climb to get the recording started was 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 uh, quite intense enough on its own. So we, we got there in the end. Des. It was good.
0: <laughs> we did, we did, Gav. But you know, uh, like <laughs> I mentioned, I, I highlighted a couple of things. But I would really, I, I would love for you to take us back to what, when did you learn about the trauma that your mother had gone through like how old were you when you uncovered all of this about your past?
1: Uh, I was quite young to be fair I was probably I don't know I was 10 so even though mum came from over in Ireland she we moved over when I she moved over obviously before I was born but we was always going back over there you know there was always reunions in the convents so i i mean sh- shall i just start from when my mum was born and then it makes it easier for the listeners to understand the whole concept of the yeah, story That'd that one. would
0: be that would be good so yeah so
1: 1953 in ireland in a place called galway my mother was handed into a church as a foundling So she had no biological parents at all, no biological family whatsoever, nans, granddads, aunties, uncles, brothers, sisters, nothing. She was all on her own, handed into a church in Galway. And then she was moved to a mother and baby home up in a place called Chewham, which is up in north, sort of north of Galway City. And she then grew up in there for about five years or so, four or five years. And she was then put on a plane supposedly to come to America and they took her off the plane and moved her back to another place over in Ireland, right over the other side of Ireland. So she then was put with this foster family or adopted family in a place called Wexford but she was never actually legally adopted by them because they never provided the paperwork to prove that they was married. And it was ironic. Ironically, since I've done my research, we found that they weren't actually married. They were a brother and sister. Well, that's what it looks like on paper anyway. That's why they couldn't provide the marriage certificates to say that they were actually married. So they couldn't adopt my mum, Right. So, and then where she was with them, That's when it kind of all went south, to be fair, you know. I mean, she was treated almost like a slave on the farm by the pair of them. And, uh, you know, she'd be raped by the foster father on a weekly basis. If she ever voiced her opinion to the foster mother, the foster mother would beat her. And if anyone local or anyone that lived in the neighbourhood, because we're talking like rural islands now, you know, it, it, everyone knows everyone, you know, the, the nearest shop's like 10, 15 miles that way, you know, mm-hmm. and it, they, anyone ever started asking any questions or prying into their sort of business or their life, they, they moved to another place because they didn't want anyone art, like working out why this young girl was there and they weren't actually theirs, you know, it was a bit sort of iffy. So they moved from place to place when anyone started sort of quizzing it you know. And then they moved to a place, they ended up in a small place down in the bottom end of Carlo on the borderline of Kilkenny. And I mean, they used to, yeah, they they were just wicked, wicked, horrible people. I mean, what they did to her was just, you know, I'm just sort of milling the stories of what my mum has told me over the years, you know. And there's a lot more in depth, but mum sort of blocked a lot of it out because it was so traumatic and so painful for her. Over the years, she'd just blocked it out and, and, and tried to erase their memories, you know, which you would, you know, if you'd been through that of, you know, rape and, and beatings and such of the like, you know. I mean, it, there was times where if she was opening her mouth, they'd beat her and they'd throw her in the pen with the dogs and she'd have to sleep outside in an old stone barn with the dogs, Instead of sleeping in the bed like a normal child was, you know, wow. and there was one episode where the foster father beat her so severely, mum sustained a boil on her leg. So the foster mother got a hot poker out the fire and persisted to burn that boil off of her leg with a hot poker out the fire in the kitchen. And then a few like I don't know, round a lot of the old stone Irish cottages everything happened around the fire, you know, that's where you've done your washing, that's where you've done your cooking, your cleaning and everything, you know, and then the, the hot water would be boiled on the stove and put in the bath. And so the bath was next to the fire and everything revolved around the fire. So, you know, you you can understand why she's grabbed that hot poker and done her in the leg with, with the thing. And and the other reason why she did that is because she couldn't then take her to the hospital and mm-hmm. show her that she's got a boil, her because the hospital would then obviously start asking questions and be like, "Well, why has she got this boil?" You know. Right, so right. she then um, she then amputated pretty much amputated the leg, or amputated the boil. The foster mother amputated my mum's leg at the t- or not amputated, but she um, she done the, the work on her leg herself because she couldn't take her to the hospital. You know. And then wow. there was another incident where the priest came round to check on my mum. You know, like the social workers come If you've got a social worker, they come around and check on the children, make sure they're okay, mm-hmm. and everything's okay, and they're all safe and whatever. And the foster mother put my mum in a trunk in the kitchen and sat on top of the trunk while the priest was there interviewing them to make sure mum was okay. And when asked by the priest, where is Mary?, the fo- oh, she's away up the way now. They're playing with the children up in the park and oh, up the field. Like, you know, when she wasn't, she was sat in the trunk underneath her. And oh, the, the, the foster mother was telling the priest she's, she's away with the kids. And she said to, the, she said to my mum, and my mum remembers this specifically, she said, the, the foster mother said to her, if you open your mouth, I'll kill you. That's exactly what she said to her.
0: So, mm-hmm. you know, you can imagine
1: a girl of nine years old being, t- being told that. Yeah, It's it pretty tough, you know. That's horrible. So she lived with them, yeah. Mm. Oh,
0: and so, so she lived
1: with them till she was about twelve. And the reason why? Go on, Des.
0: No, I was going to ask, how did she? Well, well, I have two questions. One is, did anything ever happen? Go on. To those foster parents. That they would be punished, you know, for the things that they've done. But number two, how did your mom escape that after 12 years old?
1: So the foster, yeah. So the foster mothers and all the foster parents never actually got, um, you know, never got any, they never got punished for what they did ever. But the foster father ironically fate would have it he was run over by a horse and cart he was he'd come home on a horse and cart because you know there wasn't cart there wasn't many cars then you know so he he was coming back from the pub and he fell off the horse and cart one night and the horse and cart went over his neck and chopped his head clean off so fate would have it his comeuppance was come came back to him eventually you know oh my um and then they mum. Mum was taken away from them when she or from the foster mother when she was 12 years old because this is what happened. They went into the village on the bike. and mum used to sit on the back of the bike and someone tried to grab my mum off the back of the bike in the village. Right? Now, we don't know to this day who that was. We still do not know who that was to this day. It could have been someone in the village that realised she was being treated very badly. And it's not right. Like we get, we need to take him away. We need to take her away from them, or it could have been her biological mother. But we still do not know to this day who that person was. So as they were going to the church, my mother said to the priest in the church, "Someone's just tried to grab me off the back of the bike." So the foster mother was absolutely furious because she consolidated in the priest to say someone tried to grab me off the bike. So then the foster mother backhanded her in the middle of the church on a Sunday and knocked her out in the church. Knocked my mum out in the church when she backhanded her. This is a church on a Sunday, you know, in front of everyone. So then, obviously, they were like, this isn't right. We need to take that girl away from this woman because this woman's obviously treating her the way she shouldn't be treated. And that's when she was taken away from the foster mother then when she was 12 years old mm-hmm. but get this this is the weirdest sickest strangest part my mum was then sent to a industrial school down in kilkenny a place called saint Joseph's, and they used to send my mum back to the foster mother for a summer holidays. no like what why? why why would you do that yeah and you think well hang on like they knew that she, they were beating her and raping her, but they still sent her back there for summer vacations.
0: That's not it's a vacation; it's so a nightmare. You know? Yeah, and
1: exactly, yeah. Um, and then it, it continued from that. You know, if she was ever mouthy or she, like, because my mum's quite bold. You know, if she wants to voice her opinion, she will. You know, mm-hmm. so. Whenever she did a voice opinion, the foster mother would do exactly the same as what she did before and beat her and put her out with the dogs and she'd sleep in the pen. There was numerous occasions where she slept in the pen, you know, in the do- outside with the dogs and stuff, you know. Um so thankfully, when she got to 16, she was able to leave them leave her completely, you know, like absolute like gone. You know, she she got away from them, she moved down into Kilkenny. And when she was in Kilkenny, see this is where it got even more sicker because she thought she got away from the foster parents and the it it all gone away the pain had gone away and she was able to live her life and move on you know but then she worked in a little hotel and in the hotel there was a couple that owned the hotel and would you believe that the guy out of that couple also raped my mum because she was young and vulnerable you know and I think mum had kind of like built this sort of resilience. It was kind of the norm for her because she'd grown up with being treated like that anyway. So it was kind of like she got a mindset of like, oh, well, you know, I've, it's been like this for the last sort of 10 years. It's going to be always like this, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was, that was pretty tough for her to do that. That was pretty tough for her. I mean even mm-hmm. i even I have been to that farm, and even I have met the foster mother because my mum you know that was all she knew she didn't have no biological family, so that was the closest thing to a mother she ever had you know so even I've met her, even I've been to that farm,
0: oh my gosh, yeah. how old were you so, when yeah, you so met was, uh, when, when you met the foster mother pretty, how old were you
1: uh, i I think the first time I went over there, I was probably. 10, 10, Ten, I suppose the first time I went over there. I mean, I've been going over to Ireland since I was four years old with my mum because all the girls out of the convents used to have a a three yearly sort of reunion thing, you know. And all the girls because they all the girls that was in the convents never had any family, you know. So all the girls that was in the convent that was the closest thing. They were like a a, a sisterhood, if you like, you know, because they'd all grown up together and and that mm-hmm. was all they knew, you know. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah i 've been going over there since I was a kid, so i, I you know i 've heard many many stories of of what a lot of them girls have been through in the convents and with the foster parents and you know i mean it wasn 't like that with all of the girls you know some of the girls had a great foster family and they were brought up but my mum was never legally fostered by this family because they would never i didn 't know that at the time it 's only since i 've been doing my research that i 've known to, they didn't legally adopt her and there was no paperwork to prove that she ever did get adopted by them. Wow. So yeah, it was it was intense. Mm.
0: So, intense. so your mom experienced th- so many years of of trauma and then your childhood was pretty traumatic as well. Mm. So talk it, a little bit about that.
1: It was Yeah. So obviously where my mum had grown up like that, she didn't know how to sort of express her feelings because she'd never grown up with any emotion or any love or any feelings or any sort of bondingness really, if you like. Mm -hmm. So it was quite hard for her to express that or, or to show that because, I mean, I don't blame her for that, you know, because that's how she was brought up. She never she never experienced that herself you know and, and you mirror what your parents do don't you? you know you 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 grow from what your parents do if you like you know mm-hmm. so she found that she i had a lot of babysitters you know because obviously mum was on her own my dad left when i was eight months old and just vanished just disappeared off the face of the planet and you know he was never really a a great role or model so he disappeared i was about eight months old She had to work a lot you know so I had a lot of babysitters you know Mm -hmm. so that's where it all went a bit wrong for me because I was abused by the babysitters there was two different scenarios one when I was around five uh, which was a female and then one when I was around eight was a male uh, so two different people in two different areas and two different times. It was actually two different houses as well, to be fair, because we'd moved house since then. Wow.
0: Um,
1: so, yeah. And then I obviously couldn't share that with my mum because my mum had been through so much trauma and rape and abuse herself. The last thing she could take on board was her son had been through that as well. You know, that would have crippled her. So I kept it to myself for years. I mean, I only I only bought this story out literally about ten months ago. Well, yeah, about ten months ago, about ten oh months gosh. ago, which was when I had my breakdown. So, the, the, you know, and my mum didn't even know about this up until ten months ago. It was it was intense. That is, and really it all started intense. from nightmares. That's what mm-hmm. it all started from. So you started <clears throat> yeah. having
0: nightmares. It, was, it was all st- it
1: all started from my. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What, what, when I went to the counseling and uh, the NHS mental health service, they said I had extreme prolonged PTSD. So it was 35 years of oppressed emotions as what is what I'd done. Um, And and Tony Robbins calls it emotional stacking is what I'd done for 35 years. Yeah. Emotional stacking for 35 years
0: that is very very traumatic and and so what i w- would love to hear from you is okay and this is fairly recent because it's not even more than a year ago that this has happened where you have gone through the process no. of addressing no. this trauma of 35 years and being able to talk about it now in a, in a different light what have you done to address your trauma and to begin the healing process
1: countless hours of counseling therapy talk groups you name it uh journaling walking uh yeah crying on my wife's shoulder for many nights (laughs) it was the crying as well you know like because my, I'd been with my wife 14 years, and I she'd never seen me cry, ever. Not at all. So, and then before that, i probably never cried. I, and I, it was when I started crying, I realised, it was the, when I realised then, what was the last time that I, I cried. And it was when I was 14 years old, and I remember it distinctly. And it was quite intense for that. When that crying started happening, it was like once I'd opened the floodgates, it mm-hmm. was like a monsoon coming through, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and really to be fair, the, the crying was, was like 50, like 50% of my therapy. Cause I'd never cried. I'd not cried since I was 14 years old. You know, I'm 40 now. So that's a long time not to be crying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that mixed with, you know, the counselling and the therapy and journaling, walking and just doing the podcasting, writing stuff down, sharing my story. And the more mm-hmm. I share my story, the more it became easier, the more I became more empowered to to, mm-hmm. you know, and it was like the release was just amazing. It was it was like I was carrying a castle on my back. Mm-hmm. You know, the the weight of all that trauma and abuse and anger and upset and everything on my back. And once I'd released all that, mm-hmm. it was, it was like I was about a thousand stone lighter. It was, it was insane. It was really intense to have to deal with all of that, but yeah. it, it helped me massively, like mm-hmm. hugely.
0: Yeah. And how, how are you today? Do you, do you still have the nightmares mm-hmm. What, what does life look like here? No. Now, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Life is amazing now. Like amazing. Now I'm, like I say, now I'm doing all the podcasting and I'm sharing my story and I'm telling people about it all the time. Like I've turned my pain into power. You know, my, my I'm empowered now by my pain, if you like, you know, it's, it's like I, uh, I have a superpower now because I'm releasing all my pain, you know. It's it's just it, it's it's so rewarding and fulfilling, you know. And when when I can help other men and and coach other men to 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 deal with their trauma and their abuse, that's like a form of therapy for me as well at the same time, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's just amazing, you know, to get on the podcast, you know. Now we're all back out of the 18 month lockdown pandemic thing, I can start hitting the stages and and doing the public speaking and sharing my story because the way I look at it now is if I can share my story and it inspires at least one guy to not want to go and take his own life and it helps him, it inspires him to share his story. Then I've succeeded in my, you know, I've succeeded in my mission, you know, no amount of money and no amount of um, profession can can give you that. Nothing can give you that. You know, when you've helped change someone's life and got them out of their dark hole or their rabbit hole or, you know, whatever you want to call it or their fuzziness, you know, because when you're in that mental health thing and you're depressed and you've got that anxiety and whatever – you, you, you're you like in this fog. It's like your head's in this fog, you know, mm-hmm. and it's really hard to get out of that fog and you kind of have to kick yourself up the ass if, if, if for not a better word. Um, and, and, you know, you have to keep telling yourself, come on, you've got this, you know, you, you, you've got this, let's, let's get it, let's get out of here, you know, and move on. And because mm-hmm. I've got, you know, I've got a lovely wife. I've got a great wife. I've got three lovely children. We just had a little girl. She's eight months old now um so you know I couldn't be in that little hole you know I couldn't be in that rabbit hole I couldn't be in that fuzziness no more I've got you know I've I've got two wonderful little boys and and, and a lovely little daughter and she's just great she's like when I come home and she's smiling over nighttime when I get back from work it's just amazing you know to see that smile on her face and it it makes it makes life worth living you know yeah and and um just not to have to like not to live in the past, you know, that's, that's the big thing. It's it's like living in the past doesn't serve you. You know, it just doesn't like, it's just, yeah. you got to get out of the past because if you're in your head, you're not going anywhere.
0: No. And it's, it's a, it's a place that when you go through trauma, you can get stuck. You can get stuck in your head and it's a loop that, replays itself over and over sometimes. And you need to get the support in order for you to persevere through that. Now, I, you are an identity coach. And so part of what you do, like you mentioned, is to help people through their own trauma, abuse, and in some cases go so far as to help people find their biological families. Could you share a story about, one of the experiences that you remember about helping somebody to find their family i mean i can't imagine how incredible it is to go on that journey with someone else seeing their process through it
1: yeah it's that's that's very rewarding that's like a lifetime achievement fulfilling your your destiny, if you like. Because mm-hmm. what happened was is where, so for 35 years, I put my mum to bed crying for her own mother because she didn't know her mum, she didn't know her dad. And, you know, being a little girl, a little girl always needs her mum and she wants her mum, you know. So my mum never had her mum. So mm-hmm. I put my mum to bed for the best part of 35 years crying for her mum. So it got to the stage where I'd I'd had enough of it. I was like, "This can't go on no more." You know, I need to do something about this. So we'd got onto the Irish uh, the Irish state, got onto the convent system, and said, "You know, is there any way we can find the family, or you might know the biological family?" And blah. that'd be impossible. Sorry, that'd be impossible. What'd be impossible? to find your mum's biological family. Okay, why is that then? Well, you know, there was no paperwork for your mum. She was a foundling, you know, and they told my mum, she was found in a dustbin. That's what they told my mum. Now I know from my research since then, and I, you know, I know that there was no way that would have ever happened. It's just not, she was handed into the church. She would, uh, but they told my mum. So my mum was under the belief her whole life that she was found in a dustbin. That's what they told her. But, She wasn't that's not the case she was actually handed in and then she was moved off to the thingy so yeah all of them years of of not knowing her biological family it was it that was that was traumatic on its own you know that was that was abuse on its own from the the fact that they said she was found in a bin you know um so i then decided since it's all sort of out on the media and there's this big thing now it's all the dna you know find your family it's you see it on the telly you hear it on the radio it's all adverts oh you know do the dna and you'll find your family so we went and i went and done the dna for my mum and for myself so i could compare them you know is i don't know if many people know how the dna work but you have to have family bloodline do their dna as well on the platform you know
0: mm-hmm. so
1: even though you put your dna up what you do is you get a list of all these people that come up on the dna
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the the all the all the people come up there with the email addresses and everything else now it's not as easy as just going oh okay there's a person oh there's a phone number i'll give them a ring and Go, oh, hello we're cousins They're like you know, i'm trying to find my family it's not that easy yeah. you have to do it. <laughs> as much as it- <laughs> It's nice to be there, but you have to do a lot of digging and a lot of research and a lot of, um, you know, get records and you have to do this and you have to do that. And Anyway, so cut a long story short, for what they told me that was impossible, I found my mum's biological parents, mum and dad, within 10 months, both of them yeah. in 10 months, and they told me it was impossible. Nothing's impossible until you've done it, or everything's impossible until it's been done. Should I say? Right,
0: you know? right. <laughs> they said
1: it'd been impossible to ever drive a car. Someone made a car, you know. <clears throat> so yeah, so yeah, I found both parents in ten months. And sorry, I've gone a bit wayward here. That's I've, I've gone way off the question, but I'm getting there. So yeah, so I found all my mum's mum. I found my mum's dad. The beauty of that is I was the identical double of my mum's dad. So that was really easy because I didn't need the DNA when I found them lot. Mm-hmm. I was the identical double of my granddad in every way. Same height, same build, same face, everything. Same laugh as well, ironically. Would you believe that? Incredible. Um, so I only know that now because I found all the family, you know. So And in that process, because, I, you know, I've been in, I've been on the tools all my life. I've been in construction, you know, all my life. I've then spent the last 15 years in the renewable energy sector, solar panels and wind farms, et cetera, et cetera. I know nothing about DNA and genealogy. Nothing. Well, I do now, but I didn't then. <laughs> I knew absolutely diggly squat about <laughs> finding family or DNA. I, I, I didn't know what a centre Morgan was from a from a, from an Armstrong. I literally knew nothing, so we had, to, I had to throw myself in at the deep end to work out how it all worked. And we'd be sat there, me and the wife would be sat there, five six o'clock in the morning sittings. It gets that addictive. You are you can't leave it alone. So, oh, wow, look, there's another, oh, there's a thingy, oh, look, there's another one there, oh, there's another record. And it's so addictive. You can't leave it alone. And then you start finding little leads and little links, and then you're on that one lead and that link for, like, three days, and you can't leave it alone. It's intense. Um, So once I'd learned all that, it was kind of like I attracted people that were looking for their family because I was giving off that energy of knowing how to find biological family. I started attracting people Mm -hmm. that was doing the same thing, you know, because you put in, you get, you're in various Facebook groups and you're in various ancestry groups online and, you know, various different DNA groups and genealogy groups. So you have a lot of people message you and ask you, uh, do you know how to do this? And do you know how to do that? Or they put questions up. Does anyone know how to do this? So I was jumping in and going, yeah, I can help you do that. So, I then found other cousins from the DNA that didn't actually know the biological family, but they were cousins anyway, but they never knew the family. It was, it was so rewarding to actually find a cousin that didn't know the cousins from the actual biological family. And that was brilliant for me, you know? And then I had one cousin, And she came to me and said, um, my mum was adopted and I didn't know my biological... I didn't know my dad. And that story resonated with me so strongly because my mum, wow, you know, I have to help this girl. I have to. Like, it's got to be done. And I think it was... Uh, I'm going to say three months. I'm going to say three months. No, it was less than that. It was eight weeks, because I remember her birthday was the day after mine. It's in February. So, yes, eight weeks, and we found her dad. Eight weeks, and we found her dad. Wow. Just from the work that I'd done, and I'd learned how to do that. It was really, really cool. And she, ironically enough, it just so happened, she's my my third cousin. Um, so it was, it was more, it, it was so close to my heart as well, because one, she was a cousin of mine. She was a third cousin and I'd helped her find her dad. You know, that was just so rewarding. Like it, it was just, I, I can't tell you how it felt. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing for what I'd been through as well, you know, mm-hmm. to, and then to help someone else find their dad. It was, it was brilliant.
0: It was yeah. brilliant. And it's it's really it's, it's an opportunity to start a new chapter, right? Of someone's life being able to reconnect, if that's something that they choose to do, right? After they find somebody that is a family member and get to know their, to the very purpose of what you do, their identity, their identity even even more yeah. because yeah, which is really us want that yeah. It's amazing That's yeah amazing.
1: you know like the great Bob Marley like the great Bob Marley said you know if you don't know where you come from you don't know where you're going you know and it's so true you know if you don't know your ancestral lineage you, you, there's a lot of health implications that you don't know about as well it's not just the fact of not knowing your background of your lineage mm-hmm. it's also it's nice to know them hereditary illnesses, you know. As morbid as it sounds, mm-hmm. it's quite important, you know, because when you go to the doctors, they always ask you that stuff. They always go, "Is there a history of that in your family?" And if you don't know your backline to your family, you're not going to know the answer to that question, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to know what your lineage is and where you come from, and more so with the habits, you know. Like I found with the habits, I mean, I've I've always been into music. I've always played, I played percussion, I played African gembies, bongos, congas and everything else. And I never knew where that music come from. I never knew why I had that in me, you know, and then Mm -hmm. I found the family and they're all musicians, like all of them. And it was so nice to answer that question that I'd had lingering since I was a kid. Like where, where did my musical ability come from? And then when I found the family, it was like, oh, okay, that's obvious now, you know, because they're all musicians. It's brilliant.
0: That's know? awesome.
1: And obviously, because then you know who you look like and you don't. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was,
0: uh...
1: and, then to... and then I didn't have to look in the mirror. Uh-huh. Yeah. It yeah. was really, really cool. It was really, really cool. And, and, you know, obviously now we still haven't had that massive family reunion because the last 18 months we've not been able to leave our houses pretty much, you know, effectively. Mm-hmm. So it, that that big family reunion still kind of really hasn't happened yet. You know, it's all been on Zoom and, and uh, on phone calls. That's how we've been building up the relationship. I mean, I've met, you know, the most of them, but there's still sort of 50% of them I haven't met yet in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And we've only met virtually online because that's obviously the, the, the new way isn't it you know something. it is the new um, way so yeah there's still that family resi- uh, yeah so there's still that family reunion person-to-person thing still has to be uh, completed yet we haven't got that far yet so there's yeah. still a lot to the journey to there's still another chapter to go well, there's still yeah. a novel. Show. <laughs> Let's be fair. I don't know about the chapter, it's More like a a novel still it's to a go. Novel. There, you know? I
0: think this is this is definitely. I hope that a book is in the works because I do think that it's a story that obviously will live on through experiences and interviews like this. But I do feel like a book, an autobiography of some kind from you, would be an incredible thing to pursue. So. Um, that's something to consider, yeah. but, um, w- one of the questions I have for you is what advice or resources might you give to somebody who is listening right now and has gone through abuse or trauma and is, has not yet, or maybe is just at the beginning of that journey to speak out and speak up because they're afraid.
1: Yes. You have to find someone you feel comfortable with and share that story. Because if you keep holding on to that, you're either going to have a lot of physical implications or have a lot of mental implications to link to hold on to you know i mean i always like to put it like imagine if you've got a rucksack on your back and in that rucksack is a lot of stones and every stone is an emotion and then obviously the bigger the emotion the bigger the stone you know Mm. and then you're carrying in that and you know you the more you, the more you've got that on you the more you you 're sort of like this and then and then before you know it, you can't move because you 've got so much burden of weight and emotion on your back that it's crippling you you know and i'm a firm believer in your any any physical tension you have in your body is connected to an emotion i'm a firm believer in that, and your mm-hmm. guts if you 've got gut issues. Or any underlying gut issues, it's all connected to an emotion, all of it. And if Mm -hmm. you get rid of that emotion, you can get rid of that physical pain or that that like the pain in your gut, you know. And it's I know it's really really hard to tell someone and to open that because it's like shame, you know. You feel shame. You can't you can't because you feel like it's you that's the problem, you know. You're you, you feel like you know, you're, you're the one to are it's your fault. You know, that's the track. That's what I felt like, you know, I felt like it was my fault and I felt it was my fault to brought it on, you know, but it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You've got to release it. You've got to tell someone and you don't even have to tell someone that's in your circle. You know, there's mm-hmm. so many resources out there now there's many many talk call places there's a lot of resources out there you know and they're all confidential so if you if you're thinking oh well I don't want to tell a stranger because they might you know uh, um they might um uh, what do you call it uh, the words right there on the tip of my tongue they might um judge me you know and it's it's, it's that fear of being judged and there's that fear of of being um like extradited or whatever you know so you you just got to let go of that and 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 tell someone about it I mean I found that writing it down was a great way of releasing it you know or going for going for a walk and, and 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 picking up stones on the going for a walk on the beach and picking up stones sitting on the beach and picking up stones and throwing the stones out to sea to release them emotions you know because that makes mm-hmm. it a little bit easier and then you've took that little step to releasing that emotion you know and then it gives you that confidence to go and speak to someone you know and and, and tell someone about it because all the time you're sitting with that on your shoulders it, it's there's so much tension that that can cause it's mm-hmm. it starts becoming very painful like very painful I mean, I, I mm-hmm. went to physio and everything with my neck and my back and, you know, I've been to chiropractors and osteopaths and, uh, you know, I've had needles put all in my back and I can't remember what that's called now. Um, acupuncture? Um, uh, what's it called now? Acupuncture, yeah, that's the one. I've had acupuncture, you know, osteopath. everything. You name it, I've had it. And every single one of them said to me, we can't see what's wrong with you. We don't know what's wrong with you. And then once i had all them nightmares and I'd had all that PTSD come and hit me and I'd released that. My back pain almost went it, over the space of about four months. And it was like, oh, okay. And then I started doing a lot of research on muscular dispensation is what I believe, I think they call it. And it's all about how trauma can be connected to your physical, physicality you know, holding that trauma can be connected to physical issues in your muscles because it's the tension, you know? Mm -hmm. And I found that releasing that emotion and that tension released the tension in my muscles. It was Mm. so bizarre. I never believed in any of that, but when I started doing it, I can solely honestly say that that was probably the best thing that I'd ever discovered. Yeah. It was amazing
0: yeah well and if you think about the emotional toll and the weight that you carried being able to release that i can imagine is just tremendously has a domino effect on on everything else you know your your physical your spiritual you know your presence your ability to just even be present because you're you're like you said not holding on to the pain and the past. And that's really that critical point where you have been able to turn it into power. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. It is. I, I just love turning that pain into power. It is, it's, it's mass. It's, it's empowerment. You know, it's, it's so rewarding. It gives you such a sense of freedom it's really hard to explain how much freedom it gives you by releasing them emotions and open up and telling someone, you know, it's, mm-hmm. I, I've been told in the last months or so, it's, it's very courageous in what I'm doing. You know, it's very courageous. And when you do, when you do more of it, your life becomes so much easier. You feel bold, you know, you feel stronger, you know, it's like yeah. when you put your put your hands on That's your hips right. and your shoulders up tight, yeah. and you, you've got you know, the Superman ooh, stance you know. going it's, on. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like just like that. It's like the Superman stance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's just, it's so good for you. It's so good for you to release that emotion and not hold on to them things. You know that phone call that you've been putting off for the last 20, ten years or whatever. That 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 a conversation you've not had with that person for the last 10 years, go and do it, go and make that conversation happen. Even if it hurts you to think about it, because once you've done it, see what I've found is, is that people are not afraid of the problem. They're afraid of the solution. You know, yeah. it's, it's not the problem that they're scared of. It's they're scared of the solution of what come out on the other end. And like, and in reality, the solution is the best bit. That's the easiest bit. Because once you've overcome that hurdle, it's done. It's mm-hmm. done. You, you've overcome it. And it's actually easier than what you thought it was going to be, you know. I mean, right. I had things that I had to get out of my chest with my mum and my dad, you know. And once I'd done it, I was like, oh, well, that was actually easier than I thought it was going to be. That was a lot easier than I thought it was going to be, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's so good for you to release that and, 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 and not avoid it anymore, you know.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. So, Gav, I have a few questions for you. As you know, as you've seen my show, that just helps the audience to get to know you a little bit better. So, the first question that I have for you is What are three yes. words that best describe you? Uh,
1: that's a really good question. Best three words. Um, helpful helpful courageous and loving
0: amazing So accurate. I feel. I feel (laughs) that from you. I absolutely feel that from you. So, and I I could just picture the people around you saying those same words. Your wife and your kids would probably pick those out too. Okay. What about? What is something about yourself that you are working on improving?
1: My. Art of storytelling, art of storytelling from when I get on the stages, it's, it's my big drive to get onto the public speaking. And my art of storytelling is what I'm working on at the moment. I did actually think it was, I needed to speak a lot clearer and change the way I was talking. But then that wasn't me, you know, I wasn't being me. And I was like, uh, I became very robotic Hello, my name is Gavin McCoy. It's nice to meet. You. And I was like, that's not me.
0: <laughs> no, <So> no. <laughs> I'm
1: now working on the art of storytelling and and being myself, being my true self, and not speaking like a robot.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're we're at our best when we are our authentic selves, and you are natural at telling your story. So yeah. it's I can only envision it getting better and better. Uh, what about What is a self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome?
1: Very good question. That's really cool. Um, Everyone thinks I'm crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone thinks I'm crazy and I talk too much. That was another one. So I'll give you... I'll, gi- I'll give you two on the one. I'll give you yeah. two on the a two one, one question. special. One of them was everyone thinks I'm crazy. And then the other one was a two for one special. Yeah. And then the other one was everyone thinks I talk too much. And I do talk too much, but, you know, that's why I'm destined for the stage. I was born to be on the stage. So I'm using my talking too much as a superpower, you know. That's right. So, yeah. I love
0: that. Two for I one. Love that. Two for one. You get the best out of me. That's right. That's right. I love that. Okay. What's one thing that you want (laughs) to see changed in the world?
1: The rate of male suicide to go down massively and not to be one every half an hour, one every 45 minutes as it is in the UK. That's my big, big mission. And the way mental health is, is 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 looked upon, you know, because it's very stigmatized at the moment. It's very, it's very, um, it's not as accepted as it should be, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I think. If we can change the suicide rate, and it has to be changed at an alarming rate because it it shouldn't be the way it is. We, we we should have no suicide whatsoever, none. And I think if people, I think people need to be nicer to each other because I think if people are nicer to each other, then the suicide rate will go down drastically. Mm-hmm. But that's the one thing in the world that I think should. That's one my one drive. And if 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 I can if I can spread my message to the world to change that suicide rate, that would be my message. You know, it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to share your story.
0: Yes. I'm so happy to hear that you said that because people, everybody has a story and the more vulnerability that we can bring to each other to let one another know that we're human and we're connected and we're supportive, it would be a better place. So I I hope that too. I hope that we continue to see that support from one another. So it, we don't result in things like suicide. Okay. What is one of the best pieces of advice that you've ever been given?
1: That's a really good question too. I've been given lots of good advice to be fair, but um, (laughs) one of the best pieces of advice, best pieces of advice I've ever been given. Um, I've been given lots of bad advice. (laughs) Uh, I'm just trying to think the best piece of advice that I've been given would probably be to slow down and embrace life.
0: Amen to that. Slow down
1: and embrace life.
0: Yes. Oh, my gosh.
1: Everybody
0: needs to heed that advice right there. Slow down. We move way too fast and all of a sudden think that we can be professional multitaskers and sometimes fail miserably. Because <laughs> we think we can do, you know, ten things yes. at
1: once. And, and
0: <laughs> I think there is scientific studies that show right. you can only do uh, maybe up to three things, you know, and, and at any given. Point or work on three projects or something like that. So we we shouldn't be over working on overdrive, trying to uh, overextend ourselves. That's probably where things like pain and all this other stuff that we're managing today comes from.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and it's almost like we live in a society where it's cool to be busy, do you know. But it, it's that busyness that makes you ill, you know. It's like Mm -hmm. because if you just keep going flat out, hundred mile an hour all day every day, you will eventually burn out. You will hit a brick Mm -hmm. wall. You know it's inevitable. Mm -hmm. You you can't keep going flat out twenty four seven. You know you just can't. You have to slow down, slow down, embrace life, yeah. Burnout is a is a real thing.
0: I I totally agree with you. So, Gav, how can people find you? How can they follow you, the work that you're doing, and keep up with the incredible stories of people's lives that you're changing?
1: It's, It's really easy to find me. It's Gav M, the Identity Coach, and you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google, you name it. YouTube, <laughs> TikTok, wherever, any social platform you can find me.
0: Oh, my gosh. They need to slow down on the making different social media platforms. How about that? Um, or, or else, you know, for those of us who have yeah. to use all these things, we're gonna, our new job is just going to be to keep up with all of this. But I'm, I am incredibly grateful for you. I'm grateful for your time and I'm mostly grateful for you telling your story because that's where it all begins. And that is exactly the kind of inspiration that I like to bring on my show is showing how we really do have unbreakable spirits and can can overcome and get to the other side of things and be not only better people, but people who help other people. And that's exactly what you're doing. So thank you so much for your extra time today, since we had, you know, spent a fair amount of time just trying <laughs> to get this whole thing going.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was good fun. That was good fun.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we definitely will keep in touch. I'm going to be following you. Yeah, I'll be following you and your story, and um, awesome. I'm just excited. Awesome. Thank you so Thank much, Gav. What a day it has been! I'm telling you, between the technology issues, the dogs barking, and and everything else, boy, sometimes we just have those days. But I tell you what, if there is anything to be inspired by, it's Gavin McCoy. I cannot begin to imagine the difficulty of all the things that he's gone through with his mother and his childhood and 35 years later, after having the trauma and the pain, being able to take that and turn that into power with the right support through therapy, through the encouragement of the people around him and the courage to tell his story. So I would invite all of you to turn your pain into power and into purpose, because we all have our own version of that. We know what that is. And in order for us to do good in the world, we have to heal work on ourselves and pay it forward to those around us. And that is part of the healing process, is speaking up and speaking out. So if there is something, someone that you can encourage today with your story, with your vulnerability, if you see somebody going through something, someone that you care about, someone that could be suffering, Do them a favor, be vulnerable and show that they're not alone because one of the scariest things that we can experience in life is feeling like we are alone on an island going through what we're going through. And the reality is that we're not, we're all human. We all go through difficult times, but it is when we come together that we are better. So take that. I hope that you share Gavin's story with somebody who needs to hear it. Uh, particularly anybody that you know how who has gone through abuse, please have them speak up. That is not something that you should be holding inside. It is something that you should absolutely be addressing uh, because it matters and it's very, it's very important. So while well, I have all the feels and I don't want to get too emotional and Uh, So I'm going to leave it right there, Uh, but I am very grateful for Gavin, and I'm really grateful for all of you who are tuning in week after week to new episodes of the Born Unbreakable podcast. Please do give a rate and review. Go right there on your phone. If you're an Apple user or if you are an Audible user, that is another place where you can give a rating and review. It means quite a lot to me. Don't hesitate to reach out, des at bornunbreakable.com. And with that, remember that you are on your only limit, so take action today. See you next week for another episode of the Born Unbreakable podcast.